Let's listen to God's holy and infallible word together. Then he got into the boat, and he, of course, is Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That's God's word for us this morning. May he bless it uh, to our hearts, our minds, our lives. If Jesus' miracles highlight uh, the power of God and the coming of, of the kingdom of God as we see that in Jesus' coming, and if they're about God's power to miraculously renew us, his people in our lives, then this particular miracle, and it's the first nature miracle in the book of Matthew, this particular miracle shows us God's power to renew and strengthen our faith even in difficult times. You know, what we sometimes call uh, the storms of life. Even in the storms of life, it shows God's power and ability to renew us, to strengthen us as his people. And so the question is, how does God do that in our lives today? How does God do that in your life? We see, first of all, from our text that he calls us to absolute commitment. The first verse is important, and it, it tells us, it uses that word followed, um, and that doesn't, you know, it tells us that this pair of, this miracle is about following Jesus, it's about discipleship, and if you just read, look at Matthew, it might not stand out so much, but if you compare, and this is helpful to do when you read the Gospels, if you compare how one gospel writer puts it compared to the others, some striking things can come up. Mark and Luke record this very same miracle, but Matthew introduces it with this first verse in a very different way. Mark says that the disciples took Jesus along in the boat. Luke implies they all got in the boat together. Matthew says the disciples followed Jesus onto the boat. And, and you'll find that so often in the Gospels. Same event, but told in different ways. And that doesn't mean that the Bible contradicts itself. It shows us that each Gospel writer has his own angle and wants to emphasize different things. Matthew wants to emphasize following Jesus and discipleship uh, as he tells this miracle. Uh, that the disciples follow Jesus onto the boat 
contrasts with the verses that came before, which we didn't read. Jesus had been doing miracles. He was attracting large crowds. A couple of people we read in the couple of verses before had come from the crowd and they very well could have become committed disciples of Jesus. But what we find out is that they apparently couldn't truly follow Jesus. There's some stuff in their life that they, they couldn't give up and they, they couldn't make this absolute commitment to Jesus. But then we get to this miracle and we see that the disciples, the twelve, do follow Jesus. Jesus said to them, follow me. And they did. And that's the case with these four young men this morning too. Jesus said to them, leave the crowd behind and come follow me. Put your trust in me. I have the answers for your life. Stick with me. The contrast between the 12 in our verses, uh, the, 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 the committed disciples, and the two who didn't follow, that, that contrast continues today. Some fail to follow. Other people make the commitment to follow Jesus. And the two options are before us. They're before all of us. Nathan, Jimmy, Nick, and Austin have uh, responded to the call to follow Jesus. And what an exciting thing that is. What a wonderful day this is to make public profession of your faith. Telling the church, telling the world that I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, three of these guys are seniors. You know, guys, and I know you know this, this is bigger than making that college decision. This is bigger than deciding on a career. This is the best day of your life. Following Jesus, making that commitment, involves being converted. And that means we do a 180-degree turn in life from what our natural instincts are. Following Jesus, making this commitment, means we have a clear purpose in life, glorifying God in all that we do. It means we have life, we have power, we have light in the darkness. The two guys earlier who did not, two guys, or or they could have been women, we don't know, um, they did not follow Jesus, and so they do not, did not have or find a purpose. They, they weren't converted. They didn't do that 180. But the disciples did have those blessings because they made the absolute commitment. And God calls each one of us uh, to turn to him, to follow him, to make that absolute commitment. But, and this is our second thought today, he sometimes appears to be sleeping. We make that commitment, and we get very excited about our faith. Uh, we tell everyone around us what God has done and the decision that we've made, and we think nothing but clear skies, nothing but smooth sailing for me 
here on out until I reach heaven. But Matthew shows us that's not always the case. The disciples are shown they clearly made the right decision to follow Jesus by God's grace, the good choice, but then this furious storm comes up immediately. This was on the Sea of Galilee, pretty big sea, large lake, 13 miles long, 7.5 miles wide, 680 feet below sea level. It had very steep hills on both sides uh, where winds, if the atmospheric conditions were right, you know, however it works, the cold and the the warm mix up, uh, those steep hills could make uh, almost like a a tunnel that winds would be forced through uh, and uh, and cause storms to come up. They were very fierce that uh, came up very quickly, and that's what happened here. So, you know, you make that commitment to Jesus in your life, you're happy, you're excited, you're at peace in your heart, but then hard times can hit. The storms of life, and you young men will experience that too if you haven't already in your life, and, and I know some of you have. Uh, and, and, and then, like the disciples here, we can get scared, we can get unsure, we can doubt, we can question in those times, the commitment we made to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe we're, we think, hey, maybe I'm not following uh, the right guy after all. And you might think, I thought being a Christian was about being blessed. I sure don't feel blessed that I, I'm going through this or that heartache, this or that pain. Lord, I'm following you just like you called me to. I'm on the right path. So what's going on? Where are you? And and sometimes uh, the Lord in our lives can appear to be asleep, taking a nap like he's gone on vacation. But the fact is, he teaches us in the midst of the storm. It's interesting that before he stills the storm, Jesus says to them, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He doesn't teach them after the storm, but he teaches them in the very midst of the storm. And there, it's, there are some things that we can only learn in hard times. And the question is, when those times hit, will we stop and he feels far away like he's sleeping The question is, will we stop to listen for his voice? Because the fact is, Christ strengthens our faith and makes it deeper, even in hard times, especially in hard times. Someone once noted that the book of Psalms, which of course give us the whole range of the believer's uh, emotions and the ups and downs of the faith, Someone noted that the book of Psalms has more valleys than hallelujahs. And the reality is that we do tend to learn more there in the valley than when we're on the mountaintop. That commitment we make to follow Jesus, friends, it's always going to be challenged by the devil, by the world, 
Uh, We think God isn't with us, that he's sleeping on the job, but the fact is, when that happens, he has something to say to us. He makes our faith stronger in the storms, and he can renew it. There's a devotional I read sometimes uh, that speaks to this that that I want to read, and most of these words are from Charles Spurgeon, who is a great preacher. Wasn't it just a short time ago that on your knees you prayed, Lord, I seem to have no faith. Please show me that I do. Wasn't your prayer, even though you may not have realized it at the time, Christian, actually asking for trials? For how can you know if you have faith until your faith is exercised? You can depend on the fact that God often sends trials so our gifts may be discovered and so that we may be certain they exist. And there is more than just discovering our gifts. We experience real growth in grace and faith as another result of our trials being sanctified by the Lord. God trains his soldiers not in tents of ease and luxury, but by causing them to endure lengthy marches, difficult service. He makes them wade across streams, swim through rivers, climb mountains, walk many tiring miles with heavy backpacks. Dear Christian, could this not account for the trouble you are now experiencing? Could this not be the reason he is dealing with you? Being left alone by Satan is not evidence of being blessed. So God can appear to be sleeping in our hard times, uh, but the reality is, as Psalm 121 teaches us, he never slumbers or sleeps. He always has one eye open watching, even if he appears to be sleeping from our vantage point. When you're in the storm, when the odds look overwhelming, when you doubt, You can be renewed in your faith, recommit to following Jesus, vow to follow him closer than ever, and know that Jesus never abandons us. He never forgets you. He always delivers. And so don't abandon faith in hard times. Don't give up. Put your trust and faith in him all the more. That's what we're called to do. When Jesus was sleeping on the boat here, Do you think he didn't know what was going on? Was he just clueless? Of course Jesus knew what was going on. He's God. Even while he was asleep in his human nature, he was God. He knew what was going on. And these five little verses of our text uh, reveal for us very clearly who Jesus is, fully man, fully God. We see he's man in that doing miracles a little bit before all the large crowds uh, made him completely exhausted uh, so that he needed to sleep. He needed that nap badly. He's fully man. We need to sleep. We get worn out. The last question in the text, what kind of man is this? Uh, is especially answered in our verses by Matthew by telling us that Jesus is fully God. Of course, the disciples wouldn't get this until much later, 
But from our vantage point, we know this is true. He's God in that he controls nature. A lot of our troubles in life can be corrected and helped by people. There are counselors available if you're having marital problems. Surgeons are able to remove tumors. If you're having financial trouble, if you got yourself into debt, there are financial planners out there. If you're having plumbing issues, you can uh, look for a plumber. If you're having car trouble, you go to someone who knows how to fix a car. Weather trouble, like in our text, only God can deal with that kind of problem. And we know that because if a human being could have fixed the first month of our spring, you better believe that we would have fixed it and solved that. But no, only God can control nature. And and there's more in our verses that show us Jesus is God. Uh, The language in the text here reminds us of the Old Testament language of God in control of the waves and the winds. And Matthew would have made that connection, similarity in language, purposefully because his primary readers were Jewish people. And those Jews would have known their Old Testament and thought, oh man, this Jesus sounds like Psalm 104. This sounds like God in in Job 37 where God commands the clouds and the winds and is in control of all nature. And of course, that's because Jesus is God and Matthew wants his fellow Jews to know that and come to know Jesus the Savior. We also see that he's fully God in that he's so in control of the weather that he can take the time to teach the disciples before he even stills the storm. I think I told you once before that uh, I watch, me and one of my daughters, the thing we do is we'll watch The Flash on TV sometimes. And it's kind of like The Flash. I mean, he's so fast, he's so powerful, he's so in control, it's so easy for him that before he rescues someone from getting hit by a car, you know what the Flash can do? He can first get and deliver a cup of coffee to his girlfriend. And he still has plenty of time to carry that person in danger to safety. Jesus teaches them first, and the stilling of the storm is almost an afterthought. That's how powerful he is, because he's truly God. In a sense, the stilling of the storm is an afterthought because Jesus' primary goal for the disciples and and for us too in life and in this miracle is, is, is that he would renew and strengthen their faith. The storms of life will not destroy us. In his timing, Jesus brings calm again. And and if you think about it, maybe think about your life and the storms you've experienced or are experiencing, how could the one who died for you, who went to that cross for you, how could he let you out of his sight? He couldn't. 
He wouldn't. Jesus, God and man, it's exactly who we needed to bring that miracle of salvation into our hearts and lives. Our catechism says so. It says, what kind of Savior should we sinners look for? Well, he must be truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, he must also be true God. You four students, it took a miracle for God to save you. And that's not because you're so much worse than everybody else. It always takes a miracle to come to a saving faith. As God's people, we're called to share the word, to share the grace of God, to be planting seeds. And students, you had people do that in your life. We talked about it. Family members, church members. But it takes the Holy Spirit to change your heart. So students, it took a miracle of God to save you and bring you to this day. It it took a miracle for me to be saved. It's a miracle of God's grace for anybody to be saved. In the power of that saving grace, as life goes on, uh, for you students, for all of us, God continues to miraculously renew us and sanctify us and draw us closer to him, and he strengthens our faith And he does that even through the storms. I wonder if many of us have faith like the disciples, but it's little. And and that's disappointing for people for whom faith is so important. It's such a central characteristic of our lives. It's something that so defines who we are compared to the rest of the world, compared to those who don't believe in Jesus. The disciples have faith. That's a good thing. Um, We know that because they call out to the right person to save them, right? They call out to Jesus, and their faith is in Jesus. But it's little, says Jesus. So how is it little? Well, it seems that the little is about their fear. They haven't reached the faith of Psalm 118. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Or Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and He delivered me. He delivered me from all my fears. How many of you have gotten to that place in your life? That you can go through the storms and yet not be afraid? Like Jesus models, trusting in his Father, fast asleep in the boat, even while the waves toss that boat to and fro. I know I can get very disappointed in myself and feel my faith is too small. And maybe you have that too. And it's certainly understandable to have fear in life, um, would, would a lot of people say. It's just natural, it's human. Uh, I've had people say that to me to encourage me and lift me up, and I appreciate that. You know, it's it's sort of like anyone would be afraid if they had to face surgery or be afraid when medical tests are being done on a loved one or fear a little bit when you start a new venture like college or a new job. But if it's, does that make us being afraid okay? 
if being afraid in those situations is natural, if it's human, if it's what anybody else would feel, I don't think it necessarily makes it okay according to God's word. I don't think there's any use in beating ourselves over the head and agonizing over the fact that we fear. But I do think we should say, Lord, forgive my lack of faith. Help me to trust in you better. It should make us say, Lord, you've never failed me yet. Help me to believe that you'll care for me in this storm too. Lord, increase my faith. Give me the faith of the centurion earlier in Matthew 8 who knew that Jesus just had to say the word to do a miracle. Help me to hear and apply the words we hear so often in God's word. Do not be afraid. May I have greater faith, God, and be able to go through the storms and not be afraid, for you are with me. I want to read one more little section of a devotional from this same devotional book. An old sailor once said, in fierce storms we must do one thing, for there's only one way to survive. We must put the ship in a certain position and keep her there. And this, dear Christian, is what you must do. Sometimes, like Paul, you cannot see the sun or the stars to help you navigate when the storm is bearing down on you. This is when you can do only one thing, for there is only one way. Reason cannot help you. Past experience will shed no light. And even prayer can bring no consolation sometimes during those times. Only one course remains. You must put your soul in one position and keep it there. You must anchor yourself steadfastly upon the Lord and then, come what may, whether wind, waves, rough sea, thunder, lightning, jagged rocks, or roaring breakers, you must lash yourself to the helm, firmly holding your confidence in God's faithfulness, His covenant promises, and His everlasting love in Christ Jesus. May God help each one of us to keep our eyes on Him, not the storms, and anchor ourselves to him, and may he miraculously renew and deepen and strengthen even your faith, come what may. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you, you teach us and how you even more than teach us, how you bring us your grace <clears throat> through your word. I pray for those who are today going through trial and hardship and asking the tough questions, those who are feeling that God is taking a nap. Help us, Lord, especially in those times, uh, to know that you neither slumber nor sleep, ever. If it seems you're asleep you certainly have one eye open. You're watching for us. You're caring for us. And help us to listen to what you have to say in the midst of the hard times, in the midst of the storm. And help us to realize and be comforted and encouraged by the fact that, Lord, as you miraculously work in our hearts day by day to strengthen our faith and bring us closer to you, that you do that 
even in hardship, even in the storms, even if we can't understand it completely at the time and maybe never will in this lifetime, help us, Lord, to, to anchor ourselves to you, knowing you love us, knowing you loved us so much that you, you died for our sins. And given that you did all of that, you certainly will never let us go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.